Hello and welcome to another edition of Your Money, Your Life, Black Enterprises series on all things financial wellness. And listen, this episode of Your Money, Your Life is being brought to you by Prudential. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr., as you know, Senior VP, Executive Editor-at-Large at Black Enterprise. And today we're talking about a subject that really, in a way, is all about the mission of Black Enterprise um, since its founding, founding in 1970, which is setting an agenda for multi-generational wealth creation. But what's new now is I think there's an appreciation that this can't be just about a conversation. It has to be about our culture. It has to be integrated into the culture for real behavior change. And you know, I'm always focused on how do you change financial behaviors, not just financial knowledge. Listen, we got the perfect, perfect guest to have this conversation on this episode of Your Money, Your Life. Someone I've been trying to get on this show for a minute. He is a legit um, financial media star. He is the creator of Maconomics on Revolt TV. He is the first Wall Street rapper, former Wall Street professional. He is the one and only, only Ross Mack. Bruh, finally, welcome Thank to you. the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And listen, it should have never took this long for this to happen. We could have made this happen back at the conference. So oh, you uh, got that right. It took this long. <laughs> right. So listen, man, you, you got a huge following. You got a, a very engaged following, um, of which I'm one. Uh, but for those in my audience who may be new to Ross Mac and Maconomics, talk about who you are, what Maconomics is. Um, and your story, your journey to becoming and doing what you do today. Without a doubt. So I pride myself on being a guy who wants to bring Wall Street to Main Street. I grew up on the south side of Chicago, went to Warden School at the University of Pennsylvania, graduated from there, worked on Wall Street. And one of the things I learned were coming from, you know, a very, you know, predominantly no, all black neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. Currently, it's one of the worst from a you know violence standpoint so i hope to find a way to change that but not only that right going to penn right warden school where it was five percent black one of the things i realized when it comes to this wealth gap in this country from blacks and whites and other groups it boils down to an information gap but also and even more importantly an exposure gap and one of the things that i learned while being at warden was that wow there's different levels of what money is and also, there are different conversations that other kids from different cultures are having that kids from the from the inner cities aren't having, right? They have a different conversations at their dinner table. And I learned this by being a 19-year-old, eight, I'm sorry, 18-year-old kid in econ one-on-one class sitting next to an Asian kid who was literally day trading in the middle of class. Mind you, I'm on a $300 Acer computer that I got from like a scholarship program from the Chicago Urban League. And I'm looking at this guy with charts on his computer. I'm, bro, what are you doing? And at that moment, he told me, and this is in 2008, so very interesting time, right? He's doing this in the middle of um, the 2008 crisis, et cetera. And he's like, dude, I'm day trading. And at that moment, I said, I want to start investing. And at that moment, right, that's when I originally started investing. So at 18, and that was the one thing I always think about, like, I would have never thought about ever investing in general if I didn't see this. And that's what's the exposure, right? Then I went on, worked on Wall Street for a number of years. And you think about the type of exposure there. I'm on a very highly coveted desk. I'm the first black person at uh, on this desk at the time, right? So one of the things that helped get me through Wall Street was reading 
the Black Enterprise magazines and seeing, you know, the covers and always saying, man, I can't wait to get on the cover. And then also seeing certain people in the magazines in real life and, you know, always, always trying to talk to them and learn a thing. But just being exposed to so many things, you realize that's the greatest teacher, right? They say experience is, right? When you're a kid, your mom tells you don't touch the stove and you touch it. Okay, I experienced it. I'll never touch it again. But exposure is a really big thing because being able to walk down the aisles and see people balancing their 401k plan, you glance over like, oh my God, this guy got a few million dollars in his retirement account. What is this, right? So you start having these different conversations. And one of the things I wanted to do was just find a way to not only democratize access to this information that for the most part has been kept away from our world, right? But also find a way to make it more engaging, interactive, and even more importantly, digestible. So what I wanted to do while making music, while working on Wall Street, one of the things I said was I want to start being a more urban Jim Cramer. I want to have, right, if you watch Jim Cramer and his fast money or whatever, he getting calls from a suburban woman. Hey, what do you think of UPS stock or Amazon? Right. I, I get that. But I want to have a, a conversation with Lil Man Man that's from the inner cities. Right. I want to have that conversation. And so what I started doing was having some very funny conversations. But I'm going to make you laugh. And more importantly, actually captivate you and say, wow, I didn't know that. I also didn't know I needed to know that. So I'm, t- I'm trying to educate everybody from learning how to invest from a very elementary standpoint to what is crypto to how to think about retirement from Roth IRA accounts to how to improve your credit score to thinking about real estate. And I try to cover the entire gamut. And one of the things I've always said is like, you know, each one teach one. And one of the things is I wanted to use my platform as a way to entertain as well as educate. So kind of edutainment. Um, And most recently, crazy enough, I, this has led me to having a top-rated Netflix, uh, Get Smart With Money, where I'm actually working with an athlete. And it's amazing because I'm helping. It's four families as a documentary, and we're helping them. Uh, well, four families that have different issues in their in their life in terms of finances. They're partnering with four financial coaches, and I happen to be working with a young athlete, and I'm helping him change his overall relationship with money and start investing and start spending less and investing more. You know, listen to my audience, everybody I bring on this show, I always urge you to follow them on their platforms. And before the show ends, we will definitely do that here. But I got to tell you, when he says, when Ross says it's entertaining, and I just saw one of your IG um, reels with your, with your baby daughter in the back seat, yeah. And you're literally, what do you think about this? And she's like, I think we should, you know, we should, we should short it or whatever it was. And it was, yeah. it was still very entertaining or educational. You are on point with how do you, I think you were talking about the, uh, what was happening with uh, social media stocks like Meta um, mm-hmm. and, and what you could tell what was going on with Twitter and what that might mean for other stocks. But it was really cool how you, you know, you're in the front seat of your car and she's in the, in the baby car seat like, yeah, that's what you should do. I mean, it was really, it was a really cool, accessible way, again, to not make it this, uh, oh, I got to be on the New York Stock Exchange floor to have this conversation. You made it part of just, you know, and of course, some of the themes of what we're going to talk about today, to be multi-generational, you can't wait until your kid is like we were, you know, I'm I'm in my 20s before the first time I had a conversation about anybody about investing, you know, it needs to be a, 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 a from cradle, you know, on conversation. Exactly. Talk to me about about um, 
macronomics as a as, as a philosophy, uh, as, as an approach. Again, I, I really did want to have this conversation through the macronomics lens. One, because those who already follow you get that get that um, filter, and those who sh- I think should be paying attention to you um, will have a better understanding of your approach um, if they understand the whole concept behind macronomics. Yeah, so the, the entire concept, right, uh, is trying to make, trying to have uncomfortable, try to make uncomfortable conversations more comfortable and more easy to understand, right? And the reason I say it is most people shy away from the things that they are, you know, self-conscious about, right? I think the vast majority of people, you think about barbershop talk, right? Barbershop banter. We'll talk about sports. We'll talk about, you know, the opposite sex, but we won't talk about our credit score. We won't talk about our stock portfolio, our crypto portfolio. And what I want to do is normalize that. It, it is something that we want to start having. I want kids at element. I want kids at the lunchroom table the same way they arguing about who's better, LeBron James or Kevin Durant or et cetera. They should be saying what stock is better. Is it Microsoft? Is it Apple? Is it Amazon? Is it Google? Like the, these conversations is what needs to happen. And that's why I showed her the world, me talking to my daughter. She's only two years old. But the reality is financial literacy is a language, right? And the earlier you learn how to speak it, the higher likelihood you become fluent in it. And so me having these conversations, she understands a little, right? But probably not. The vast majority is going over her head. But the same way if I had a nanny and she was speaking a different language to my daughter, she's going to grow up being fluent in that language. Well, guess what? I'm speaking a language she doesn't know yet. But the more she hears it, she will for sure be fluent in it. And that's the thing I want us to start thinking about, right? Like we shouldn't be, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have known, right? I shouldn't think about what is credit when I'm 22 years old trying to go get, you know, get credit, right? I should already understand this. My parents should have already been telling me about this and to a degree, hopefully, and we'll talk about kind of the pathways to getting there, but to a degree, hopefully my parents have done some steps that have already helped establish me building credit at a young age, right? And well, and I can't wait till we start talking about a lot of the things we need to do, but that's what Maconomics is, right? It's making content, right? Reaching your audience where they are. So I'm, whether it's on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, or even Netflix for that matter. Now it's trying to reach your audience where you are. You know, I, and I do kind of want to start getting into what, like you said, what we came here to do to talk about what we should be doing to set that agenda um, one of the things that I'm encouraged with, you know, kind of being an OG in this game, I mean, I've been at Black Enterprise over 35 years. Um, your generation and younger are leaning into this conversation, with, whether um, whether you had the education or you didn't, in a way that's unprecedented among Black people. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know, like you said, we've been historically reluctant to talk about money. But we're seeing, you know, in the latest surveys of financial attitudes and behaviors among African-Americans that basically um, millennials and younger are they want to know about investing. They're leaning into wanting that information. It's been a big part of the emergence of I see a whole new generation of of financial educators and media stars like yourself who are who have Mm -hmm. who are getting a response and a following that I would say two, three generations ago, there was only a handful of, or a small percentage of black people that were leaning into it. And the rest of us were kind of being dragged into it almost by, mm-hmm. by necessity or just bypassing it altogether. What do you think may be a little different um, for, for, you know, your generation and, you know, uh, and younger 
that may have been a turning point in, in, in the attitude toward financial education, financial literacy, a commitment to multi-generational wealth creation and an interest in it. Do you see some kind of watershed event that kind of changed things for the yeah, better, well, in my opinion? I, well, I will honestly, yes, yeah, definitely for the better. I, I will equate it to one thing, right? Technology, technological advances, the ability for the democratization of everything, right? When I started investing in 2008, it, it cost me $13 from a commission fee in order to buy a stock and then another $13 in order to sell it. Now you got, you know, zero, zero commission fees in order to buy and sell stocks, right? Then we think about the power of YouTube and Google. Those are me going to an Ivy League. That's one thing. But the I think the smartest schools in the world is the power to just Google and YouTube things. It's being able to have access to information at our fingertips at all points. And I think our generation are generally at the forefront of all of this in terms of being able to better use social media and now leverage it to convey messages. Because what I look at it is this is what you just call a, a, a social media renaissance. Right. This is a black wealth renaissance. And we're utilizing the technological advances to start bringing this information and foster these type of these conversations amongst our community. What what about the the manifestation of making this um, a cultural conversation? I mean, obviously, we are now again, especially younger generations of African Americans are very conscious about the culture, what it is, what degree it should be kept uh, authentic and pure and what is good for cult, the culture, what's bad for the culture, what defines the culture. But again, I think this is the first time um, in my to my in my experience that we even think of this as not just the right thing to do conversationally, but it's part of the new emergence of what the culture is to be uh, a, a healthy, forward-thinking, conscious Black person in a way that I think is different. Yeah, well, without a doubt, one, as you can see, my hoodie, my brand, Black Wealth Matters, I find that to be near and dear. And we've had a lot of <clears throat> a lot of things that have kind of triggered, you know, us wanting to be more conscious about this. Right. If you look at kind of post George Floyd, you know, if you really look and say we're having the same marches that our ancestors were having. Right. And one of the things I, I was doing. And I, I'm very, you know, intentional with Black Wealth Matters, right? I actually was quoted in Bloomberg <clears throat> as them saying this is effectively the digital civil rights movement because if we're having the same, if we're having the same fights that our ancestors were, then we got to ask ourselves: doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results is a definition of insanity. So what's different now than in the '60s? Well, now we have more access to information. Right back in the day, from the early, from the beginning of America's onset, right, it was illegal for us to become smart and uh, illegal for us to learn how to read. And now, when you think about the high institutions, and we think about how difficult it has been to get wealth in this country from, you know, redlining, from you know, uh, you know, predatory loans, etc. Now it's like, you know what? We need to get wealth in order to truly get true equality in this country, right? It's, it's not a, you know, who did you vote for? Okay, let's hopefully, nah, it's, we need wealth. Wealth equates to power in this country, right? This is a capitalist society. Those without capital don't have power. And so 
I think we are being a little more intentional, but the stats are still unfortunate, right? They say, and I want to say Black Enterprise is one of the, you know, I, I want to say I quoted quoted it there by year 2035, when I'm sorry, by year 2053, Three. the median net worth by for Blacks is going to be zero. And so we obviously have a long way to go because the stats are still showing we have to overcome a lot. And um, I think people are more intentional, but we still, once again, it's a lot of information that sometimes can be like drinking through a water hose. So we have to just get it from the correct sources and be more adamant and actually be intentional about getting this true generational wealth. So our kids, kids and their kids are straight for life. You know, on that point, let's take a pause for the cause from Prudential. Prudential knows the importance of having a rock in your life. Everyone needs a rock. A rock can help turn the far-fetched into within reach. And when you have one, you can reach your potential, your dreams, and your goals. And when it comes to your financial goals, Prudential is the rock you can rely on. With their knowledgeable financial professionals, Prudential can help you get to new heights. Plan, invest, insure, and retire. Visit Prudential.com. Who is your rock? So we're continuing our conversation with Ross Mack, and, and, and where you left off is right where I want to kind of begin for the focusing on the topic of this conversation, setting an agenda for multi-generational wealth creation. And you talked about, you know, this is, this is a multi-generational journey. We're not going to turn this ship around in one generation. You're talking about your children and then their children and their children. So talk to me about some of the things that we have to kind of make part of the agenda, if you will, of conversation in our families and our households. And yes, even with our babies, to start turning the tide that, that, like you said, it's going to take some time to turn that tide to avoid this zero net worth outcome in 2053. Yeah. Which, and it's hard to imagine 2053 is literally technically right around the corner. I mean, you're talking. It's not that know, far away. Five years away, you know. So, but talk to me, you know, your, some of your thoughts about um, some of the principles, some of the habits, some <laughs> of the priorities that you stress even um, for the audience of Maconomics. If we're really going to be serious about, like you said, harnessing the power of wealth to make other changes, uh, yeah. you know, um, that we that we've been struggling for for centuries in this country. First steps first, we have to change our relationship with money. Yes. We have to understand that money could be a tool rather than just being a, a means to an end. Right. We have to understand that. We are over-indexed at spending more than we are investing in and saving, right? If you look at Nielsen, we make up 14% of the U.S. population, around 14%. Yet, there are many categories that we are outspending other groups. So, right, realistically, if Black people make up 14% of the population, then when it comes to, you know, certain, you know, clothing and this, that, and the third, then we should be making up 14% of that those sales instead we're over-indexed in many categories. And I can, it's a long list I have from Nielsen. I'm not going to necessarily get into it, but the first thing's first, right? Step one, I kind of said step one. So step 1.A, right? We got to learn how to budget better. And I think that's one of the first things because we want to be able to control our inflows and outflows. We want to help. We want to understand that, you know, I want to say roughly 70% of Americans, so not just black people in general, don't have a thousand dollars saved. Vast majority of living paycheck to paycheck. And that is a flaw, a fundamental flaw. It's not taught in our schools, right? We don't understand budgeting, right? We talk, make money, you spend money. Oh, and you continue to think 
you're going to keep making money. You're trained to keep thinking you're going to get this paycheck every two weeks or et cetera. Reality is we want to control our inflows and outflows. We want to be able to build up an emergency fund, which is three to six months of our necessary expenses in order to survive, right? In order, in the event we lose our job and, you know, you want to be able to have enough money tucked away, right? Another thing I love to say is we have to understand we have to cope with the reality. The reality is we are all going to pass away at some point. And I think one of the easiest ways of building true wealth in your family is being selfless and actually having life insurance, right? Understand that, you know, a lot of, sometimes when we're looking at our community, we are generally kind of in survival mode. It's hard to think, you know, 30, 40 years down the line, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, but budgeting is everything. And, you know, controlling your expenses so that you have money left over at the, at the end of the paycheck that could go towards investing, can go towards paying life insurance policies, et cetera. And I think life insurance for a healthy female, right, for just a term life insurance policy, say she's 30 years old or 35, it'd be like $35 to get a million dollar life insurance policy, right? And so understanding those little things, you know, so learning how to change that relationship with money, learning how to budget, understanding life insurance is an actual necessity right? Especially if you have dependents, right? We can make the argument, oh, well, I, I don't have any dependents, yada, yada. But if you have dependents, understand that you should want to, once you leave this world, you don't want to be passing a hat around in a form of a GoFundMe, but instead leaving your family with true um, assets, right? And then also we have to understand why it's important to invest. Investing is one of the things that, once again, wasn't taught to us, but, you know, and if you really go back to the time, it's understandable, right? For a long time, Black people have had a, a mistrust with the financial banking system in this world, right? You can look at the the Freeman's Bank, right? Kind of, pull, here we go, Freeman's Bank, where they literally were doing, you know, they, they, they were doing some fraudulent things, taking the, the deposits of Black people when going out and making bad investments, and you look up, a vast majority of black wealth was lost yes. in this, right? And yeah. so it's understandable, right, where black people's like, you know what? I don't even trust the bank. I'm going to just put my money in the shoebox, put it under the mattress. And then the people that are okay trusting the banks, then they are saying, well, I ain't going to invest. I need to see my money. I want, I, I want to just put my money in my savings account. The reality is, and especially now should really teach you, is that the cost of living goes up every year. And what I'm talking about is something called inflation. So at a, at a very bare minimum, people need to understand that you need to, at a minimum, have your money invested that is something that is going to be equal or more to inflation. So in a normal year, inflation is about 3%. What I mean by that is a basket of goods that you're going to spend in a normal year, next year is going to cost 3% more. So if it costs $100 last year, it's going to cost $103 next year and keep going each year, right? And so that's in a normal year, 3%. Right now, inflation is around 7.58%, 8 right? And so that means $100 a year ago, right? A $100 basket of goods a year ago on average cost $108. And so just think about having your money in that shoebox, right? Where you're getting no return or even having in that savings account where it's getting pennies. 0.01%, right? 0.06%, right? And so what you need to understand at a bare minimum, a lot of people, you know, 
black people will talk about are are afraid of investing because they one thing they say is I don't want to lose my money or two I need to be able to see my money. Well, first to the first point of I don't want to lose no money. You know, newsflash: you're losing money by not investing. Yeah, that's the flat out thing. So a hundred dollars today. I'll say this again: a hundred dollars today will only be. In, in today's time, right, with 8% inflation, $100 today is only worth $92 next year. That's what that truly means. And so, and in a normal year, $100 a day is really only be worth $97 because it's 3% inflation. But what you need to understand is like, okay, I need to, at a bare minimum, invest. And how are we thinking about in, investing? So one of the smartest investors of all time is Warren Buffett, right? I'll shout out some black people too, right? You got... You know, you got the John Rogers, you got the, um, you know, because uh, we own Black Enterprise, you got the raw smacks of the world. Well, yeah. I put myself up there. No right. But one of the people who I think we could all say is one of the most you know, successful is Warren Buffett. And he'll tell you at the end of the day, listen, just put your money first things first is in the S&P 500. Reason that is a great investment. Right. When you start thinking about your retirement um, and we'll get into all of this right portfolios for your kids, custodial accounts. We're going to talk about that too. Mm -hmm. But it's like the average return of the S&P 500 is 10% on an annual basis. Average every year, 10%. It's going to go up higher. It's going to go down sometimes. But over the long period of time, over a 30-year period, just say the average return is 10%. Once again, compare that to where inflation is. I mean, your money's going down on average 3%, right? Average, your money's going up 10%. And then you get the ability by investing is the ability of compounded interest where your yes. money is making money and the money that your money just made is being reinvested. And so I think that one of the things we need to do when we talk about changing our relationship and understand the money that we have is a tool, right? Understanding we're budgeting and we're budgeting to make sure, okay, this is how much money I want to invest monthly because it's not about saying I'm going to put a thousand dollars in and make and turn that into a million. No, the idea is saying I want to be able to invest 200, 300, 400, 500, whatever the number you could afford in a monthly basis. That way it's you you benefit from compounded interest. And that is what helps you build wealth. That is a true blueprint of saying putting $400 in the S&P 500 every month in 25, 30 years, you'll have a million dollars. That's an actual fact, right? It's a blueprint of yeah, that, right? Yeah. And so I'll stop. No, before it, I keep it, going. you're laying it out just the way I need you to for, the, for, for our show and for this audience. You know, and the other thing that I think you're hitting a strong point, too often we think often because either we haven't been exposed to it or we're going by what we see in popular culture movies, that being in the markets is about some big hit. Like I got this stock at the right time. I had this big hit. You're making the point that it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. It's yes. the S&P 500's performance over time that averages out 10%. So yeah, in a given year, it can drop and maybe in some other years it might be 12%, but you're not really looking at it from year to year. And this idea that true wealth creation, um, and this is something I, that I spend a lot of time trying to, again, make it part of a cultural understanding is always a long game. Like no matter how you choose to build wealth, whether you want to do it, you know, primarily with real estate or stocks or, and, and obviously it needs to be a combination of multiple things because you want diversification, Absolutely. but it's a long game. It's not, I, I get the, got this right stock at this time, and now I am rolling in, in the millions. The other thing I'd like you know to, to spend some more time on is this idea that that we don't, first of all, black people in general, especially in my generation, I'm a baby boomer, 
we actually are not bad at saving. The challenge mm-hmm. is we think it's about saving to spend. I'm saving for Christmas. I'm saving for, yep. you know, school shopping. I'm saving for that vacation. Whereas our counterparts, if you will, the, the, the person you sat next to at Wharton Business School comes from a culture of saving to invest. So when Absolutely. black people say, I don't have money to invest, it's usually because we don't think that we save money so that some of it can be used, obviously, to spend. But really, it's about saving to invest. I'm budgeting a certain amount of my money so that I, I can, you know, if, you know buy an ins- you know, pay an insurance for an insurance policy. I can um, put into my 401k. I can buy an, a mutual fund. I can ultimately get into the stock market. When, when you talk about some of the messaging that I, that, that you share um, on Maconomics and through, through your other platforms, how how is important for you to communicate this idea that it is a a long game? And that you budget to invest, not budget to spend. It's definitely a long game. And I love how you said that, right? We have been programmed to think like, okay, I'm saving for something, right? I could save up for that trip to Jamaica with the girls, girls trip to New Orleans, whatever, right? I could save up for those new Jordans, that new Louis bag. First things first, you want to pay yourself first. We are conditioned to pay our bills. We're conditioned to pay a, a gas bill, car note rent, mortgage, et cetera, right? The most important thing is to pay yourself first. So you want to make that a line item, just how you budget. So when you're budgeting, and that's why, you know, I have a budgeting sheet that you can get at maconomics.com. And it's so important because you want a line item to say, this is how much I want to have for investing, because that is the most important thing. Paying yourself first before you're paying the creditors, this, that, and the third, you want to pay your future self. And that's why investing is important. You want to be able to retire and not work until you, your untimely demise. You want to be able to retire and end up and, and enjoy the rest of your, your years. You know, um, my previous guest on this show, um, Shawnee Curry, we, we talked about um, the types of uh, lessons around financial wellness we should be sharing with our children. And again, I, I noted that. You, you engage your daughter, two-year-old daughter, even now in these conversations. Like you said, she may not know everything that's being said as a two-year-old. But like you said, you learn languages beginning practically from birth by hearing what people are talking about around you. Talk to me when we talk about this idea of creating a multi-generational wealth agenda about what we could be doing, kind of piggybacking on the topic of the show, um, the last episode, to have these conversations with you know, not only our children, um, maybe the teenagers in our lives, maybe, you know, people we're mentoring to, again, make this part of a regular part of the cultural conversation, not a special conversation. Because I, fi- I find we, we tend to wait to have these conversations if we have them ever. Oh, oh somebody died. Oh, what, now what are yeah. we going to do? Or we got to figure out where we're going to get money to send you to college. Okay, now we need to have this conversation, as opposed to it being kind of the ongoing regular conversation that again is part of our culture see the thing is and you know i see it all the time is we love to give our kids what we didn't have and what i want people to do and change your mindset is to teach them what we didn't know so rather than give them what we don't rather than give your kids what you didn't have teach them what you didn't know and so the type of conversations is giving your kids, not only are, are, do we need to, because once again, it's an education gap, it's an exposure gap. 
we want to educate our educate our kids so they know the stuff that we wish we would have known at their age. So helping them understand what credit is at an early age. Why not? If you, right, assuming, here's the asterisk, assuming you yourself have good credit and you are paying your bills on time and, you know, not overextending yourself from a credit utilization standpoint, right? Put your kids on your credit card as an authorized user. Guess what? My daughter's two. My son is eight months. When they become 18, guess what? They'll have 16 and 18 years of bills that have been paid on time on their credit. So guess what? They're not going to need me to be an, a uh, a co-signer right? or a guarantor, the word they use. They're not going to need me to guarantee some loans for them, right? Because they gonna wanna, they would have already known that, right? Um, not only that, but let's also start teaching them the power of investing. So instead of when people get together and, you know, baby shower this or, or baby shower is one thing, birthdays, right? I don't, my, my, my kids don't need this toy that they're going to stop playing with, or they don't necessarily need these shoes that they're going to outgrow with these clothes. Get them, you know, make an investment into two accounts. You got a custodial account. You got a 529 account. Those are two accounts I definitely recommend, right? Custodial account is just a normal stock account that is controlled by the guardian for a minor. Now, the best part about it is they're able to see this stuff. You can get the, the companies that they look at and know and they use all the time. So what you're doing at an early age, you're teaching them instead of being just consumers, which we all were. Ma, can, can we stop at McDonald's? We all was consumers. But now you're teaching them how to be an owner as well. Oh, we actually own McDonald's. We own Chipotle. We own Roblox. We own Apple. We own all these things that you use day in and day out. Now, as we're using it, guess what? And your friends using it, technically they are paying you because you are an owner. And so we're teaching them that early on. And then another thing, when I mentioned the 529 account, I know I graduated with student loans. The idea of 529 is to, yeah, <laughs> I know. And, you know, I, I, you know, I graduated student loans and no telling what's going to happen with this bill of the people going to get the $10,000. So they didn't knock that down already. So I don't know what what's the come of that. I know one thing. My kids won't have student loans. Right. And so that's the idea, the type of head start I want to give my kids. And how am I preparing that? Once again, consistent, putting a couple hundred dollars a month in both of those accounts. Right. It might not. Everybody might not be able to do a hundred dollars. It could be fifty dollars. But the one thing we understand is that birthdays and Christmases come up every year for these kids. And you don't necessarily need toys and clothes. You can literally say, yo, you know, I got relatives who are now following my lead. Yo, we ain't getting that kid no toy. They got too many or too many clothes. They done already outgrown the stuff I got them last, you know, summer, right? But how could I send money to that 529 account where this is money that's going to literally be invested? Tax, literally, you won't get taxed on this money. Tax advantage accounts where it's being invested. And when they get to age, you can literally use this money for higher education, even private school for that matter, and that money will grow tax free. So as long as they're using it for education expenses, whether it's dorms, you know, computers, et cetera. But the idea is just making sure our kids know the things we wish we would have known rather than just giving them the Gucci shoes that we didn't have because we was wearing Skechers. You know, you, you hit on so many important points that, uh, again, when we talk about multi-generational, we always say if it's, if it's not multi-generational, it's not wealth, no matter how much you got. Uh, it's not just yeah. what you can you know, earn and accumulate. It's about what you can pass on. And 
again, I only got hip to all of this stuff. Again, I'm a, a generation and a half ahead of you because I worked at Black Enterprise. Like that wasn't mm-hmm. something that if I didn't work at Black Enterprise, so my kids did get stock. You know, nice. they, you know, my son had, uh, I think the, uh, the three kids I had at the time, one had Disney, one had uh, McDonald's, and one had, I want to say Nike. I may not be getting right on the Nike one. But mm-hmm. again, it wasn't like they were like billionaires because I brought them this stock. But right away, they got it. They were like, oh, wait, I own. They were, you know, they were literally paying attention to this. And then you get them to, to be committed to financial literacy and financial education yeah. because they really did want to know what it might stop. Exactly. You know, and, and, and your and other that right point there about, alone is changing their mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing is, is this idea that we, let's take buying clothes. I'll tell people, your kids are not going to go unclothed if they don't get clothes for Christmas. <laughs> that's a mm-hmm. basic necessity that you're going to provide because that's what you do. Yeah. But you're not going to buy them stock every day. So yeah, birthdays, Christmas, college, high school graduation gifts. There's so many great occasions to really, literally put a piece of wealth, put an asset in your child's hands, uh, or even if it's not a child. I'm like, you know, you could bless, you know, your sister or your cousin or your nephew, even if they're you know young adults, in a way that it will will go a lot further than like you said, buying them a pair of shoes or taking them on a vacation. Um, it, or even something like a wedding gift. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've just seen so many of my white counterparts. The reason they got their house is because their parents paid the down payment on the house, um, or you know, or you know, literally for them. You know, and that right there is a cheat code, right? The idea is giving your kids a head start. Yes, whether it's financially or educationally, right? It's it. That's the that's the way, right? Like thinking. When I graduated college, I had to go to work because I know I had debt. Their kids, their counterparts that graduated and said, I want to take a gap year and travel the world. I want to see what the world has to offer, really find what I'm passionate about. You don't really find your passion sometimes. We not afford that that safety blanket because, you know, unfortunately, we don't necessarily come for wealth. And, right, it, we understand that this a lot of this stuff was intentional, right? We weren't able to inherit a home that's worth a half a million dollars that our grandparents bought for $40,000. Like we're not able to do that, but right. We can only control what we can control. And now it's like, okay, let's start trying to get this wealth now. Yeah. You, you make a great point as we come to down the home stretch of this conversation. I I recommend to my audience on a regular basis, and I'm going to recommend it again because you did mention the Freedmen's Bureau and some other things. See the documentary boss, the black experience in business. And what you will realize is that we, we it's not that we never had the opportunity or, or didn't know how to build wealth. Is that time and time and time again, and the, and the Freedmen's Bank is a perfect example. We kind of mm-hmm. got a foothold, and then you know whether it's redlining, whether it's you know corruption at the Freedmen's Bank, the, you know the the wealth building rug got pulled out from under us. And I always say that to people to say this is not something that we are unexperienced generationally to do. But we are in a unique position, to your point, in terms of access to technology, access to information, um, and, and at least some of the barriers that our parents and grandparents face mm-hmm. not being there today, that we really owe it to ourselves to lean into this idea of, like you said, not just buying and spending on today, but really putting wealth together that's going to you know, finance our future 
not only our future in our own lives, but the future, the future of uh, future generations, our children and their children. You know, you know, you know I really like you to uh, to kind of tie a bow around this in a way, in terms of what drives you, um, what's made this your passion. You could have had a, you know, and, and still could have any kind of career. You could, you could be, mm-hmm. um, you know, fully focused on just building a career in music. You could still be on Wall Street, you know, a veteran mm-hmm. investment person making great money for yourself and your family. You could, there's a, there's a, based on your own background and your education level and going to Wharton, there's a lot of stuff you could be doing. But what is it that makes Maconomics and what you're doing um, with Netflix and on Revolt and, and on, you know, and all the other platforms that you're really pushing this agenda? What is it, what is it that, that makes Ross Mac tick and makes this so important that made you even drop what you were doing and say, listen, yeah, I'll come on your show. I'll, I'll do that. Uh, tell me about that. Well, one. I'm always grateful for the people that came before me, Mm. right? And so I told you a story, and this is being honest. I was inspired when you look to the left and to the right of working at Morgan Stanley, and you're only seeing one or two black people on the whole floor, right? But my roommate and I, who also worked at Morgan Stanley, we worked on a different floor, but we had the black enterprise. We would be able to see, while there are people that look like us, although it's hard to find them, there are people that look like us, and it's crazy because he still has it to this day. Um, it's the uh, the it's the episode with Chris Williams and um, Reynolds on the cover, and they oh, sit yeah. back to back. That's just as always. I finally at this past um, Black Enterprise conference, I got to meet Chris, and I always tell I told him that story. But those are the things that make me say, okay, what can I do to inspire the next generation? And was was really my thing is this is about because it's people who grew up where I grew up who were not as lucky as me. Like I felt as I worked very hard, but sometimes in this life it's just being at the right place and right time. And what it was was that I was able to sit next to that kid while going to an Ivy League. I was able to walk down that aisle while working at Morgan Stanley. I was able to be hearing people talk about, yo, I got an LLC for this reason and that reason. Oh, I'm writing off this and writing off that. Like it's so many things that I've just been privilege to have and to hear and being in the right room, just like a kid who come from where I come from didn't necessarily, he should not have had to been in those same rooms for that person to be privileged to hear these type of conversations. So my thing is always just bridging the exposure gap, bridging the information gap. And the thing that gets me going is changing lives, getting constant DMs from people every day from all around the world of saying, man, that video changed my life or that movie, for instance, changed my life. Thank you so much. And the reality is, I believe I'm helping change the change the world, changing people's financial outcomes one video at a time, right? One piece of content at a time. And I just really find it moving because once again, I'll say it, this is the digital civil rights movement. I feel as though, right, I am doing, you know, similar. I won't say I'm on the same level, but some of our huge civil rights activists, I'm doing it from a financial activist standpoint, because once again, I find that we need to have true capital in this country in order for us to get to a level where we can truly realize, you know, hey, this is what we truly are demanding, right? This whole, I don't care if you vote in this or that thing, right? We got to understand that we, businesses market to us because they know we're overspending. 
right? Uh, cash advance places. Those are put in black and brown neighborhoods because they know we're underbanked traditionally, right? They know they're going to be able to get two, 300% returns on helping us get the, you know, getting advanced to our check that comes Friday and we need it on Wednesday. Like it's so many things that, you know, society has, you know, looked at us on a predatory standpoint. And my thing is I want to help change those conversations. I want to help us know that attaining wealth is, is very, I won't say it's very easy. It's, it's extremely doable. We just have to have the conversations and actually understand these are the steps we need to get to, to take to get there. Listen, Ross, with with, uh, with all due respect to your deference to our civil rights leaders, again, another thing that if you understand our history in this country, uh, it was the wealth creators that financed the civil rights leaders. It was A.G. Gaston and, and his generation. In every generation of civil rights leaders, there was the Earl Graves's, the, the uh, yep. Ed Lewis of Essence. There's A.G. Gaston and John Johnson. I was talking, where do you, who do you think financed that? Who do you think bailed them out of jail when they went to jail? Who do you think yeah. put them up in hotels when they were either couldn't even stay at white hotels or they didn't necessarily have the money to? So what you're doing is part of a great tradition of civil rights. It's just, it's different now because you're not just uh, like previous generations of wealth creators financing it from behind the scenes. Now you're teaching others to become wealth creators. And it's one of the reasons that I'm, you know, again, I'm a fan of yours. I'm a big fan of many of the financial, like I said, media stars, educators, um, you know, evangelists of your generation and younger, because it's a, it's a turning point in, in our time as African Americans in terms of our relationship with money. That's a necessary component. Or like you said, if there's if there's a civil rights agenda, I'm I'm just happy to see that wealth creation is on that agenda. But listen, Absolutely. the time we have left, obviously, we can't cover everything in the world in a short in one show. You as a content creator understand that. But what's the best way for people to continue to uh, to access the information that you have, to continue to learn more about you and Maconomics, to get the, the information, the inspiration to not only learn new things, but make behavioral change? What's the way to stay, on, stay connected with Ross Mack? Yeah, please follow me on all social platforms at I'm Ross Mack. You can also visit me at maconomics.com. That's my website. At I'm Ross Mack, once again, maconomics.com. You could also shoot me a text message, 773-232-2577. Alfred, thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been an honor. Thank you. Ross, it's definitely been an honor. We got to make it happen again soon. And, and uh, you now know that you're in Chicago and I come to Chicago a lot. We definitely got to get together and break bread. So I really appreciate you, bro. It's been an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this has been another great edition of Your Money, Your Life. This episode has been brought to you by Prudential. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr., Senior VP, Executive Editor at Large at Black Enterprise. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.